across the pond, deep into rabbit holes, and right in front of us in our own gardens. What are Dee and Carol up to this week? Listen to this week's episode to find out. And welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. Too darn many. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Dee. We are doing a rare recording on Sunday for Wednesday. We are way ahead this week. Yes, you'll have plenty of time to edit this episode and you won't be in a hurry. That's right. I'm never in a hurry anyway. (laughs) So what's going on? Well, first of all, you saw my picture of green beans and I think you put it on the Instagram. Thank you. I had a lot of green beans. I did put it on Instagram. Yeah, Very nice beans. The year of the bean. 2021, the year of the bean. Anyway, I took a few days off from the garden because... I'm telling you what, Dee, I did weeding like crazy. I think on Tuesday morning, Monday morning. Yeah. I so bit up with chiggers. I just like, I hate chiggers. <laughs> and then I was driving some errands and I thought, man, it's hazy out here. So those horrible forest fires over in Oregon, the bootleg mm-hmm. fire that was started by a lightning strike. I looked it up. It's horrible. 400,000 acres on fire. It's tragic. It is. And the smoke is coming this away. And they says it won't get to like ground level, but it sure made things hazy. And I thought, uh, mid July, it's time to take a few days off. So I did, I did mow twice. Yeah. But anyway, and it didn't rain. So Friday evening, I watered the lawn once, but that's my garden middle of July. So it's been hazy here too, in Oklahoma from Whichever fires. I mean, maybe the ones in California. I don't know. The whole West seems to be on fire, which makes me very sad. But um, here we had a lot of allergy problems in Oklahoma because of the fires. I can imagine here too. I'm not doing a lot of weeding in the garden. I got down all that mulch early. And so most of it's pretty good. Um, I, and also it quit raining. And when it quits raining, then, you know, the crabgrass doesn't grow as fast. So I harvested and I made the most beautiful pepperonata with my tomatoes and peppers out of that six seasons cookbook that we talked about last week. Cool. We used it on everything. We used it as a dip. We topped hamburgers with it. I topped a cheese omelet with it. It was wonderful. And then pretty much right now I'm walking around and seeing if plants need water because the pots sometimes need more water this time of year. Sometimes they need twice a day. And the grasshoppers are driving me crazy, but we don't have any nolo bait, so I can't use it on them, which is a natural control. And so our blister beetles, I have blister beetles all over my tomatoes. And I just wanted to give everybody a tip. What's that? Don't squash blister beetles with your bare hands. You know, we don't have blister beetles I've never seen them on tomatoes. And I got to say, my tomato plants, even though all the tomatoes are green, they look pretty darn good for this time of year. My, that's because you started yours so late, which was really smart, I think. Mine are looking pretty sad, but they still have lots of tomatoes on them. And they're doing okay. And the reason you don't squish blister beetles is it's in their name. They will cause you to have blisters. 
Yeah, that's it. You've got to be careful with a lot of insects. I just, unless you know what you're doing, I wouldn't handle an insect. Just use gloves or if you're going to squish them or drop them into soapy water. And, and they, we need to do that with those shield bugs right now. The stink bugs, gosh, they're just driving me crazy. Okay, well, that's basically my garden is buggy, I guess. I guess so. You came up with this really fun quote. I'm going to let you read it. Here goes. It's kind of long. Get ready, people. Now in the spring, I kneel. I put my face into the packets of violets, the dampness, the freshness, the sense of everness. Something is wrong. I know it if I don't keep my attention on eternity. May I be the tiniest nail in the house of the universe, tiny but useful. May I stay forever in the stream. May I look down upon the windflower and the bull thistle and the coreopsis with the greatest respect. Mary Oliver. That was lovely. I love Mary Oliver. We chose that because it's lovely, but also it mentions coreopsis which is the flower we decided to talk about this week. I don't like its common name. No, me neither. Tick seed. Yeah, because it looks, um, the seeds are tiny and they look like little seed ticks, but it has nothing to do with ticks. And I like calling it Coreopsis and I grow a lot of it. Do you grow a lot of it? I do not anymore. I've had it off and on. I'm down to, I think, one Coreopsis, and that is Coreopsis rosea. The variety is American Dream, and it grows about 10 inches tall um, and has pink flowers. And it's out front, and it kind of self-sows itself, and that's pretty much it in my garden. Okay. So a lot of – I grow a lot of them. I, know, I don't grow American Dream, but I grow a lot in Oklahoma. And here, I would tell people that some of them act like annuals or short-lived perennials. That's why I think I've had them before. I know I've had them before. And then they kind of disappear. And the one that is always, always talked about in everything you read is Moonbeam. And in my garden, Moonbeam hardly ever overwinters. It doesn't like it here. And I'm not saying other gardens that it doesn't like it there. But if I'm going to choose a straight yellow one, I'm going to choose Zagreb instead of Moonbeam because it actually acts like a short-term perennial. It is a lot harder to find, but sometimes you can find it at various places. Um, I'm actually growing one that I just bought from High Country Gardens this year, and it's it's part of that Little Bang series, which is spelled L-I apostrophe L. Little Bang, and there's Big Bang too. This is Little Bang Starstruck, and Little Bang Starstruck is really pretty, and we'll see if it overwinters, but I have so enjoyed it this year. Um, I think it's one of those that just kind of blooms itself to death. Could be. That's why Coreopsis doesn't always stay. Yeah. I just looked up Moonbeam because I thought, I think that was a perennial plant of the year. And, you know, because it was 1992, it was. So that was, yeah, well, 29 years ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. It's a long time ago. And I think it was because I think it was a big breakthrough. Um, but it just doesn't do that well here and you'll see it sold everywhere here, but I don't, I don't understand why now in my upper pasture, I have the native court. I have a bunch of native Coreopsis, but one in particular is really pretty and it's called Coreopsis, Coreopsis tinctoria. And it's got a yellow bloom with the red uh-huh. in the center, a really pretty plant. I also grow a really big one that they sell at Bustani plant farm. It's probably like 
I should look it up. I just, you know, why do I do this stuff off the top of my head, Carol? I don't know. But you just gave me a great idea. What was that? So my little nano micro nano prairie that's like 12 by 12. Yeah. Um, most of the stuff in there blooms later in the summer, like August. I thought, you know what? Tick seed. I need to get some native tick seeds to plant in there. Yeah. Tinctoria is wonderful. I don't need great big ones, but I did go to that Mount Cuba Center website that you pointed us to where they did a study of Coreopsis. Right. Yeah. Thanks. What did you find out? Oh, you're welcome. I just found out that, you know, I probably should go back and get some Coreopsis for that little, and I didn't know where. So I thought, now I know where to put them. So now I should get some. Don't you think? You should get some. Oh, I think you should. You know, I'm always in favor of you getting more stuff. I've almost gotten to Coreopsis. Aha. Let's see. No, he he doesn't have that one listed. He talked about it. Steve Owens talked about it on Facebook the other day. In this one, he talks about the Chippewa River Daisy, which is Coreopsis integrifolia, which I enjoy, but again, doesn't always overwinter here. So I, I don't know. It's the really tall Coreopsis. I grow it. It's eight feet tall. It's a really cool plant. I mine is 10 inches tall and that it's a tiny little pink flower. It's very lovely. So, and I'm actually trying to get it to naturalize a bit more out front and I kind of moved it around. I moved it yeah. away from my beloved violas that I'm trying to over summer. So, that's a good idea. And I put that's it around this other anyway. I just move it around. It doesn't like being moved in the middle of the hot summer, by the way. Just FYI. Does does anything like to be moved in the middle of the hot summer, really? No. But that didn't keep me from giving my older sister a couple of plants when she stopped by last week to bring me something. What'd she bring you? She brought me this little figurine thing that she didn't want anymore. It's like a snowman garden. Oh, I thought it was a plant. No, a snowman gardener thing. She left with a big lily, the floral pleno, the double tiger lily. Yes, I love that one. And uh, some blackberry lily starts because those blackberry lilies, we're talking about Coreopsis. Anyway, they're self-seeding and she thought it was pretty because it is. And so anyway, she didn't ask for any of the Coreopsis. I could, anyway, the Coreopsis, um, there's a place in most gardens for Coreopsis, I think. At least one Coreopsis. I mean, you can, and the thing is, is that most of them are great butterfly plants and great bee plants. So there's that too. There is that. All right. I think we've exhausted Coreopsis. I tried to take us off track onto a couple of other plants. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) So you want to do the next quote? I can. If you can mock a leek, you can eat a leek. William Shakespeare in Henry V. I don't understand that at all. I don't either, but it made me laugh when I saw it. So that's why I did it. Because I thought, you know what? That is funny. I I don't know. I, you know, that's one of those things that if I was back in high school, I took a class in Shakespeare. It's like, what does that mean? (laughs) I don't know. But it tells us what we're talking about in the vegetable garden. Leeks. And I got to make a confession. I have never grown leeks. I've never had a desire to grow leeks. I don't even know if they taste better when you grow them yourself. So you did find some good information about growing leeks. I did because I went to Bonnie Plants. Um, I have grown leeks in the past. I'm going to try to grow them again this fall and overwinter them and harvest them in the spring. 
I don't think they would overwinter very well in Indiana. Well, I'm going to put them in my cold frames. There you go. So we will put a link to this Bonnie Plants information, which is quite good. So as usual with anything in the vegetable garden, sunny spot, fertile and well-drained, could be a raised bed, even a tall container. They want to be about six inches apart. Kind of reminds Mm -hmm. me of garlic in a way. Well, they're, you know, they're all part of that same family, I think. And so um, leeks, garlic, onions, maybe garlic isn't part of the onion family, but they're all, they're all grown the same way. I mean, really they are. Right. Now the leeks like lots of nitrogen and lots of soil moisture. So in Oklahoma, you probably need to water them. Yes. And that'll be easy to do because um, my raised beds, not raised beds, well, they're raised beds, but they're cold frames on top of raised beds. They're right in front of my greenhouse and I have water in my greenhouse. So as I sprinkle stuff in the greenhouse, I'll just sprinkle them on nice days. There you go. And so you do want to plant them in the cool weather, spring or fall, you're going to fall plant yours. And I'm also going to, I'm going to start the seeds indoors. Right. Now, Bonnie plants, they say that leeks aren't fussy as long as they get that soil moisture. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how fussy they are. I haven't grown them in a really long time. So um, they tell you that after planting, one week after you plant them, which I assume is transplanting, you regularly feed with a water-soluble plant food. Well, in my case, I use that ladybug plant food, which is organic. Uh Uh-huh. And that's what I use as my water, I can't say that today, water-soluble plant food. Um, I will not be using the blue stuff or the purple stuff. No. No. And so you asked me in the notes if I was going to be doing the leeks. And the answer is yes. No, I'm going to leave it to the professionals to grow the leeks. And on the rare occasion that I desire to cook with leeks, I shall buy it at the grocery store. So have you ever cooked with leeks? Maybe a couple of times. Yeah, they have a milder flavor for a soup. Yes. So that makes them delicious. They are like a mild onion and they are really good in soups. So I use them for that. So I'm going to give it a try. I haven't done it in a while. So here you go. Yep. It's all about trying stuff out. (laughs) Hit that next quote, D. To write is human. To receive a letter divine. Susan Lindroth. And that takes us to our On the Bookshelf this week. That's right. We're talking about a book called Dear Friend and Gardener by Christopher Lloyd and Beth Chatto. And it was published in 1998. And when we speak of Christopher Lloyd, we are not talking about the actor. We are talking about the famous gardener. He was a famous English gardener. And he was that great Dixter, which was his his family home. It wasn't ancestral. It was family. His family home. And Beth Chatto and Beth Chatto lived in East Anglia and um, they were good friends. And she lives in an area of England that is definitely farmland. I've been there. I've been to her garden and it is a really dry part of England. You know, people think England is is all wet, not Beth's house. She has a gravel garden. Mm -mm. Had she's deceased now, D she passed. Had she passed. They're both passed, but you know what? We read this book a really long time ago. Yeah, I was pulled off my edition and it was, uh, it's a review copy I got in 2013. So it is an updated copy with a new illustrations and an introduction by Fergus Garrett, who is the gardener at Great Dixter and has been for decades. A long time. So what's, what's different about this book of letters than others I've read is 
they knew when they wrote the letters back and forth that they were going to be published into a book. Right. Which I had forgotten that. I have a lot of other books of letters written between two gardeners. Actually, I can think of three. And they were Uh, not, they were written without thought that they were going to end up in a book. Right. So, but I, nothing to dig on this one. I mean, I read through snippets of it in preparation and you find it's just, it's just fun. It's very charming. Um, because of this book, you and I and Marianne Newcomer for a while on our blogs did letters to each other. Do you remember that? We did. We did. That was kind of fun. It was very fun. And it was called, we called it Dear Friend and Gardener. And it was to promote the book too. And I, you know, when you've got two very intelligent, well-respected gardeners who are writing about the challenges in their climate, like what I remember from the book, and I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but it was about, there was a period of time in here where he was getting ready to dig up his mother's rose garden and plant a hot tropical garden instead. And that was considered quite racy in the English gardening world at the time. It was. And now it'd be quite trendy. Popular, or tropicals are in. Tropicals are very in as seen on Gardener's World. So he was, he always thought ahead. He liked very hot, bright colors. And she talked a lot about how her climate was not the easiest climate to work with. And so there you go. Yeah. And I, I'm going to put this back on the stack to read again. Because he says, Christopher Lloyd said this one thing, and I cannot find it. But he talked about how the forget-me-nots were blooming throughout the garden, um, you know, like a continuing theme. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's, that was a good way to put, like, in a smaller garden like mine, when you put the same plants kind of in different spots, it does sort of create a theme. So mm-hmm. violas are my new theme. Just well, that's that's a good that's a good excuse for buying more violas anyway. But you know what, Kelly Norris would say the same thing. Yes, and I would say that the plant that knits my garden together, one of them, is uh, the mums. Yeah, you know, not not the garden, the true garden mums, right? Like they come back each I, year, and yeah, like country girl um, garden mums like that that come back each year and kind of weave in between other plants. In fact, they weave in so well that I have to yank out big hunkfuls. And I give them to friends if they want them. But I always warn them that they're quite spready. The other thing when reading this book, so they wrote this in 1998. They're British. This is a 2013 edition. Well worth getting, I think, for dipping in and out of. But they mentioned some plants. And it's just like that little warning we have to give to people that says just because a plant got mentioned in one of these books, it may not Mm -hmm. today be a good plant. For He talks about Euonymus fortunii. Silver Queen and Euonymus Fortunii. I think it's even on the do not sell list in Indiana because it is so invasive now. Yeah. So invasive. Um, It used to be really popular. Oh, yeah. And it was a bad idea. And there's another one like that too that, um, and I'll think of it maybe for next time. But that's just a little like when you read, don't get too Mm -hmm. enamored with a plant like that without checking it out. But that's, that's on my new stack to read. Cause you can just read a few letters and follow along and they don't just talk about gardening. I mean, he read, I read this whole letter. They talk about all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah he went to a, 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 a tea and he talks about, you know, the people there and it was kind of fun. So I'm, I'm back into it. And you were also going to talk about the forward. Yeah. What Beth said in the forward. In the forward, she wrote this. Our gardening has been broadened 
I think, by our enthusiasm for other forms of art, including music and cooking, the whole activated by our need for other people, their responses and input into what we do, which takes us into the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole. We have interests beyond gardening, but somehow they always seem to come back to gardening. I just Mm -hmm. don't understand that. So tell us about the rabbit hole you went down, Dee. It looks pretty nice. You told me about it before. So um, this week I got invited by Mary Louise, um, who is a listener, and she'll be thrilled to hear this. She said she listens to us while she cooks. Cool. Um, She invited me to join a literary book club that is called The Well-Read Mom, and it's an international book club that focuses upon a different theme every year. And this theme this year is the family. Last year was sisterhood. The year before that was about your spouse. So I'm pretty excited to start it. I went to the informational meeting and I already signed up and they're going to send me the books and Carol will be thrilled because the books are not purchased um, from Amazon, from the big A. They're purchased, I think actually through, I think they have a deal through bookshop.org, but you can also buy the books. So if you want to join at a different level, you can buy them yourselves. Anyway, the point of all this is literature, reading, cooking, gardening, it's all part of the same artistry, I think. Yeah. And I, I'm very much into the arts. I always have been, and I always will be. And I love the part in there where Beth said, it is activated by our need for other people, their responses and input into what we do. And I think that's what garden coaching also does for me too. Yeah. I get, you know, it's a, it's a call and response kind of thing. Whereas you and I, when we do this kind of work, we are putting out a lot, but we mm-hmm. don't, we don't, we do get some responses because people write us back. And I really appreciate that because that helps us to go on. Right. 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 So that's my rabbit hole. Which one did you go down? So that it would be the question this week is, which rabbit hole would you like me to talk about? I went down several. Anyway, I end up, you know, I got into this journaling. I have yet to create a journal, a junk journal. Junk journal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, part of the joy of these things is I got to have a few supplies, you know, like special papers. And I love that stuff. I don't know why. So they have digital downloads of all kinds of neat graphics and things that you can print and put in yeah. your put in your journals and things or just print and make bookmarks or inserts to put in a little card or a letter or something. Mm-hmm. So there are so many of them out there. And sometimes they're like, is it a $2 digital download? But then you, you have to print a full page picture. Right. You're going to burn through toner pretty quick. So I did, I confess that I found so many pretty flowers and botanical pages. I downloaded quite a few this week. I didn't Uh-oh. print them all. But I have them, you know, ready to print. I thought, you know, this is sort of like a Starbucks habit. You don't think you're spending a lot of money just stopping at Starbucks <laughs> today and tomorrow and the next day. And then yeah. the next thing you know, it's like, well, I spent a lot of money. <laughs> but not that And what much. listeners need to know is that when Carol was in her other profession, she went to Starbucks at least one time every day and yep. got a giant ice cream tea, no water which is actually yep. my favorite too, which she introduced me to. But right now you can't get green tea from Starbucks, even if you wanted to. But since you now stay at home, you don't go to Starbucks every day. No, I am. In fact, my sister was going to stop at Starbucks the other morning because I was helping her son and wife trim their shrubs at their house. Uh-huh. She said, I'll get you an ice green tea. And I'm like, great. So she shows up with drinks for everybody but me. And I'm like, what happened? She no says, green tea. 
they have a shortage of green tea and they didn't have any. So they do. They said it won't be back until fall, just FYI, but we digress. So it is like a Starbucks habit. All of this stuff, it can be very expensive. I'm still excited about my book club. But it was fun and and um, I will have to, you might get something in the mail, D. Oh my. I don't know. I got to get, I got to get some of this stuff. You know, I got to do something with these supplies <laughs> and I got to ship you some honey. So there. there you go. All right. So here's their next quote. Whether we and our politicians know it or not, nature is party to all our deals and decisions, and she has more votes, a longer memory, and a sterner sense of justice than we do. Wendell Berry. So that's kind of a, so this is the dirt is Wendell Berry. I did some research on him and I have always heard of Wendell Berry, but I never sat down and read any of his poetry which ties this back to Mary Oliver because he writes very much like Mary Oliver. And when I was thinking about the fires out in the West, I was thinking about that quote and he was actually talking, he lives in Kentucky. He has lived on the same farm for over 40 years. He lives in a place called Port Royal, Kentucky. Um, He totally distrusts technology. Um, He uses a pencil to write his works. He's written over 40 books and his wife types him, and he's now 86. And what I loved about him is that nobody can pigeonhole him. Like, he can't be pigeonholed by any group. Does that make sense? It does. Because he has, he has a very, he's a very intelligent man, a great thinker, and um, his poetry is beautiful. But what he was talking about in that quote was the Kentucky River. And the Kentucky River no longer has, I'm trying to remember what it is, black willows, Kentucky black willows, which is a native plant. Uh They don't grow on the Kentucky River anymore. And they, in this video that I watched about him, he was talking about, he was being interviewed by Bill Moyers, who I also enjoy listening to. And Bill Moyers said, well, well, why? And he said, I don't know. He said, but I suspect it has something to do with coal mining. Probably. (laughs) And the fact that they dump stuff into the river. So, He is, um, I would say no group can pigeonhole him. He works on the environment. Sometimes he writes about it, but he also really, really worries about coal miners. Yeah, he does. So he's a deep thinker. And I'm just going to make a suggestion that people go out and watch the video, um, which we're going to link to. And um, I just thought it was beautiful. Um, It's it's a great interview. And he was very interesting. Um, Also, here's another quote. A lot of my writing, I think, when it hasn't been in defense of precious things, has been a giving of thanks for precious things. It's lovely. It's lovely. He's very, he's deeply, uh, he would say he's deeply Christian. Um, He said he reads the Gospels and um, tries to understand them. He does. And if he can't understand them, wow. And I watched a Netflix special about him. When I first retired, I had Netflix for about a year and I shut it down because it's a rabbit hole. But anyway, yes, it is. he talked about the tobacco farmers in Kentucky, and they're still tobacco farmers in Kentucky. And yep. he talked about how, you know, the lure of technology, that tobacco was a very um, hand-picked, hand-hung in the barn to dry. It was very labor-intensive. And so, you know, the big manufacturers came in with this technology, bigger, better tractors, and a, a device that would cut and the tobacco and put it on the bars or whatever to dry it. And so these farmers went all in and they got into huge debt 
debt, terrible debt. And then the tobacco industry fell apart. Well, not so much the tobacco industry fell apart, but the price of tobacco never rises. And that's true of so many crops. Yeah. The price per whatever the price per is, it doesn't really change that much. So now these farmers were in horrible debt. And, you know, like he said, he worries about coal miners, farm laborers are out of work and they just feel like, you know, he just feels like that they've been led astray, that this was not an industry that needed this technology. No, it wasn't. He's a very thoughtful man. And you talked about how he runs a nonprofit to teach people, young people, how to farm. And I bet those young people learn some lessons you couldn't learn anyplace else, but from Wendell Berry. And also I want to point out that he is extremely critical of how cities use farm labor and resources from rural communities and then they don't give back. And that's one of his big issues about it is that he feels like they take advantage of people in rural communities. And that tobacco deal is a perfect example. Yeah. The other part of this is he worked, um, he went to university. He always was a writer and he's always been a farmer and he lives on the same farm that has been in his family a long time. And he farms it with his wife and his children and his brother, which I thought was very interesting. And he he left, he was in, um, I'm trying to remember where he was. Oh, he was in the village in, um, in New York city. And I think he and his wife stayed there for like two years. And then they said, um, we're going home and he never left yeah. and you can't, he has no computer. He has a phone and he also doesn't have a mail route out to his farm because he said they need the post office. And you know who that reminded me of? It reminded me of Aaron French who did the lost kitchen in Maine, you know, and she won't, she won't take reservations by phone or anywhere. You have to send a postcard to the post office because she wants to save her post office. And I think it's this, Yeah, it's this movement to be local. So when he teaches people how to farm, he teaches them how to farm in a diverse fashion, in a local fashion. And that's all I'm going to say about him. He is kind of a rabbit hole, but I think people should go read him. I do. I do too. And I actually have some Wendell Berry books. I'll have to look those up. Anyway, let's do our garden commissions and then wrap this one up. You go first because I talk too much. I'm going to mow weed and hopefully pick the first ripe tomato. A gardener can dream. I'm going to keep watering, keep watching over the garden, take pollinator photos. It is freaky hot out there right now. Oh, yes, it is. Well, we want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. We hope what we tell you and give you is useful to you. It helps us to get noticed by others. And could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, it is. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.